Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome, listeners, and thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you could join me for this new episode where we check out infamous movie curses. But before we start, as a reminder, please be sure to take a look at the podcast Facebook page. Fans of the show know it's the best place to find monsters, quizzes with answers given during the next episode, film, TV, and book recommendations, and current paranormal news stories from around the world. Now, on to our episode. What happens when a movie is affected by the paranormal? Is it possible for a production to be cursed with bad luck or worse? While there are plenty of reported cases of haunted studios in Hollywood, that's not what we're going to be exploring in this episode. These are episodes of inexplicable events happening over the course of filmmaking productions, accidents, setbacks, and very frightened participants. We're looking into those legendary and folklorish tales of movies being cursed with misfortunes and tragedies. We're going to investigate both main films and the horror film genre, and after looking into some very strange cases, we'll see what skeptics say about it all. So... Let's get started. The stories of curses on movie productions have been around for years, and they cross many genres of films, although horror films are by far the most common source of stories. Here, then, are the stories of curses that terrorized and traumatized movie productions. The Wizard of Oz, 1939. In a time before safety regulations were enforced on sets, Oz was a hotbed of accidents. The original Tin Man, Buddy Epson, was almost killed by the aluminum powder used for his makeup and was forced to leave production for an iron lung. Wicked Witch Margaret Hamilton caught on fire and refused to perform any more pyrotechnic scenes. And poor Toto broke a paw. Atuck, scheduled to be made in 1988. If you've never heard of Atuck, that's because this movie was so cursed it never actually got made. A comedy about an Inuit hunter using traditional techniques to survive in an urban environment, it's not the movie you would immediately suspect is set for a curse. Yet many of the actors who signed on to play the lead role died prematurely, including John Belushi, Chris Farley, and John Candy. Actors who were cast in supporting roles weren't immune either, with Phil Hartman also facing a violent and tragic early end after being attached to the film. It's quite an incredible coincidence that they all met an early death after getting involved. In any case, it's certainly interesting that multiple attempts to develop and produce this project have never come to fruition. John Belushi was the first actor to be attached to the film, and he was offered the lead role in 1982 and showed a lot of interest in the script. But a few months later, on March the 5th, Belushi was tragically found dead in his hotel room at the Chateau Marmont. He was only 33 years old, 
The cause of death was determined to be drug-related. His death was investigated by a forensic pathologist and the findings were disputed. In 1986, after losing their lead, the script went back on the market, and this time Sam Kinison got involved. He would play the lead role of Atuk. In 1988, production began and managed eight days of filming before Kinison halted the production. He didn't like the way it had turned out and began to rewrite the script. The movie was put on hold again until 1992 when production began. Unfortunately, during these negotiations, Kennison died on April the 10th, 1992. He was only 38. His vehicle was struck head-on in California by a pickup truck. His best friend, Carl LeBove, and his brother were there as well, and they could see no visible injuries. He could not be resuscitated, and he died at the scene from internal injuries. His wife, who was also in the car, only suffered a mild concussion. The production team refused to give up, and in 1994, they approached John Candy and offered him the role. Candy was thrilled and began to study the script. In March of that year, he also died. Candy was working in Mexico, and at some point on the night of March the 4th, he died of a heart attack. He was 43 years old. Candy had reportedly asked his close friend, Michael O'Donoghue, to also read the script and perhaps join the cast. He died from a cerebral hemorrhage at 54 years old. In 1997, the film resurfaced. A took was offered to Chris Farley. Farley was aware that his idol, Bellucci, was once offered the part, and so he was intrigued and expressed an interest. But much like his idol, Farley also died young and at the same age of 33. A few months after reading the script, on December 18th, Farley was found dead by his younger brother in his apartment. Farley, much like Candy, also introduced his friend Phil Hartman to the script. Five months after the tragic death of Farley, Hartman's wife murdered Phil in cold blood. Born on the 4th of July, 1989, a movie about an injured Vietnam War veteran struggling to cope with life after the war is based on real-life events and real-life people, including Ron Kovic, played by Tom Cruise. Cruz actually broke his ankle during filming and had to continue shooting while recovering from surgery. He spent months after in physical therapy to battle the pain and regain his mobility. Kirk Douglas, who plays Ron's father in the movie, also suffered an injury when he fell through some steps on set and broke his leg. While this seems like a minimal accident, it was actually the beginning of a string of accidents and deaths that plagued this production. A propane tank exploded and destroyed much of the set killing three crew members in addition to injuring other cast and crew. The Crow, 1994. In 1993, Brandon Lee, the son of late martial arts legend Bruce Lee, died due to a tragic mistake while filming The Crow, a gothic tale of loss and vengeance. In the scene in question, a character called Fun Boy shoots Lee's character Eric while he's carrying a grocery bag. The gun was meant to be loaded with blanks, and a small squib would detonate in the grocery bag to simulate the actual gunshot. Lee, however, was actually shot and died that night. Some argued that this fate was foretold by Brandon himself, who had a premonition that he would die suddenly. The set was filled with alarming occurrences from the start. On the first day of shooting, a crew member accidentally ran over a housemate's dog. A few days later, another crew member was injured when he fell through the roof of a building that collapsed beneath him. The cast and crew were not immune to these disasters either. Actress Brittany Murphy, who played lead singer Irina 
had just finished shooting her first scene when she learned that her mother had died. The script of the movie was written after the tragic death of one of the writer's wives, and once the production was set into motion, the film endured tragedy after tragedy. Crew members reported being electrocuted accidentally. Some got stabbed in the hand by screwdrivers, and trucks were being set on fire. Upon investigation, they came up with zero explanations. The Passion of the Christ, 2004. In the Mel Gibson-directed film, star Jim Caviezel's injuries and ailments were mostly due to the intense violence of the film getting out of hand, including pneumonia, lacerations during a whipping, and a dislocated shoulder. Weirdest of all, however, was when Caviezel was struck by lightning while filming. Weirder still, director Jan Michelini was struck also, twice. And then there are the horror films. We start with Rosemary's Baby, 1968. Famous for influencing the satanic subgenre, Rosemary's Baby leaves another legacy as one of the most cursed movie sets in history. The first to be hit by the curse was the movie's composer, Christoph Komita. He was at a party when his friend accidentally pushed him over an escarpment. The composer died of a sudden blood clot associated with the accident. Shortly after the film's release, producer William Castle began to receive hundreds of pieces of hate mail. Bastard, believer of witchcraft, worshiper at the shrine of Satanism, one letter read. My prediction is you will slowly rot during a long and painful illness which you have brought upon yourself. Around the same time, Castle began experiencing excruciating pains in his groin. He collapsed in October of that year, four months after the release of Rosemary's Baby. He'd had a blockage in his urinary tract. In 1969, director Roman Polanski's wife Sharon Tate was brutally murdered by followers of Charles Manson. While no motive was ever found, many sources linked the crime to Rosemary's baby. Rumor has it Tate appears as a background character in the movie and became obsessed with the occult during its production. The devil that was shown in Roman Polanski's movie was rumored to be played by the father of the occult himself, Anton Levy. The Exorcist, 1973. One of the scariest and most profitable horror movies of all time and the first horror movie ever nominated for the Best Picture Oscar, The Exorcist was sure to have a cursed history. A string of notable deaths occurred directly around the time of the film's production, most notably among them actor Jack McAlron, who died of a flu before the film's release. Actress Ellen Burstyn, who plays young Reagan's mother, suffered a permanent spinal injury on set while filming a scene where Reagan throws her from her bed. She wrote about the inexplicable anxiety on set in her 2006 autobiography. At one point, the set that housed the entire McNeil family home burned down. The disaster set production back tremendously and unsettled the crew, as the only room that survived the fire was the bedroom used for the exorcism scenes. An eerie coincidence? Co-stars Jack McAlron and Vasiliki Maliaros died in post-production. Both of their characters die in the movie, and they aren't the only actors who died before its release either. Mercedes McCambridge, the voice actress who played the demonic entity, was the tragic victim of a domestic violence-related killing shortly after the film was brought to theaters. Seven others passed away over the course of filming, 
and one female reporter even died at the hands of an actor playing a nurse. Overall, the movie saw eight deaths, and a lot of them happened during the production. And beyond that, several relatives of the people associated with the film also passed away. On the first day of filming, Max von Sydow, who plays the lead priest, another star, lost his brother. During the screening of the movie, a 16th century church across from the theater's street got struck by lightning. This is one of the few horror movies that legitimately had the scenery and ominous signs to prove that it was indeed cursed. Based on a true story, the curse surrounding this film is said to be because the devil didn't want his dealings exposed in the movie. Crew on the film came to believe that the devil was responsible for ongoing injuries and tensions. The Omen, 1976. Another Oscar-nominated horror film, Richard Donner's The Omen about the birth of the Antichrist had a very high and very real body count. On three separate occasions, the planes of actor Gregory Peck, producer Mace Neufeld, and screenwriter David Seltzer were struck by lightning. Peck's son killed himself before filming started and Peck himself almost ended up in a plane that would end up crashing. The cast and crew of The Omen had many near-death experiences during the making of the movie, and a stuntman was viciously attacked by a Rottweiler. A special effects technician caught on fire while setting up a scene involving the explosion of a door. An animal handler severed the head of his own beloved chimp with a cleaver, and star Gregory Peck almost drowned when he fell into the sea during a scuba diving scene. Special effects designer John Richardson was working on another movie when he and his wife Liz Moore got into a head-on collision accident. Richardson survived the crash, but Moore was decapitated by a flying tire. Legend has it that even stranger, Richardson recalled a sign at the scene of the accident stating the town of Omen, spelled O-M-M-E-N, was 66.6, that's 666, kilometers away. The most memorable of the accidents occurred when the set was attacked by an actual flock of crows that seemed to be an omen themselves. The birds pecked at several cast members and crew, drawing blood in some cases before they were chased away by crew members with brooms. Poltergeist, 1982. The rumors about the curse of the Poltergeist film began after the crew used real skeletons to film one of the movie's most unsettling scenes. A disproportionate amount of deaths connected to the Poltergeist production occurred. Dominique Dunn, the oldest daughter in the first film, was strangled by her boyfriend at 22. Julia Beck, who played Kane in the sequel, died of stomach cancer at age 60. Will Sampson, who plays Taylor in the sequel, died from kidney failure at age 53. The most famous death is that of Heather O'Rourke, the young daughter in the first two films, who died at age 12 of septic shock and cardiac arrest, both due in large part to a misdiagnosed intestinal issue. But that's not all. In 1992, actor Richard Lawson narrowly survived a brutal plane crash, and in 2009, a small character from the original film, Lou Perryman, was brutally murdered in his home. Heather O'Rourke's character's sister was played by actress Jessica Harp from 2008 to 2011. Jessica died of a suspected heart attack at just 23 years old, having only come into contact with Poltergeist in the third movie. So are all these deaths coincidences? Or 
Could they all be traced back to one fateful and cursed film? The sheer number of untimely deaths of people associated with the films is definitely staggering. The Conjuring, 2013. The first movie in the highest grossing horror franchise of all time, James Wan's The Conjuring, stars Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga as real-life paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. As if The Conjuring being based on a true story isn't scary enough, reports from cast members are chilling. Joey King, who plays Christine, was covered in bruises after a couple of weeks of shooting, despite not performing any stunts. Farmiga would frequently wake up between the devil's hour of 3 and 4 a.m. on set and found claw marks on her thigh and laptop. Several people, including producer Rob Cohen, saw items move in the Warren's actual artifact room. But the strangest thing to happen on set involves one of the original Perrin girls from the actual case that inspired the film, who told screenwriter Chad Hayes, something really bad is going to happen out here today. Sure enough, later that day, the girl's elderly mother fell and broke her hip so seriously that she required an operation. Most of the people on the set felt uneasy or jittery, and many others have said that they had a feeling of being watched. One staff member's dog started to behave strangely, regularly growling at thin air. One actress on the set fell ill after she felt a strange gust of wind and headed to the hospital. Farmiga was so uncomfortable with the movie, she refused to bring the script home with her. One particularly scary event was when a random fire broke out in the set without any reason. The cause was never discovered. Frightening circumstances in these films seem to suggest curses attached to them. Yet, could there be a more conventional explanation? The skepticism around film production curses is just what you might expect. It centers on coincidence, alternative explanations, and the inflating of events to create and achieve stories of legendary status. And those stories can be a positive addition to the backstory of a film, especially rumors and myths that help propel a film to more financial gain at the box office. If we search for an example of how such myths can be created, a worthy analogy would be the curse of the Pharaoh's tomb in the early 20th century. There have been stories of Egyptian curses going back to the 19th century, but they multiplied after Howard Carter's discovery of the tomb of Tutankhamun. Despite popular misconceptions, no curse was found inscribed in the Pharaoh's tomb. The evidence for curses related to Tutankhamun is considered to be so meager that Donald B. Redford, a Canadian Egyptologist and archaeologist, viewed it as unadulterated claptrap. The belief in a curse was brought to many people's attention due to the deaths of members of Howard Carter's team and other prominent visitors to the tomb shortly thereafter. Carter's team opened the tomb of Tutankhamun, King Tut, in 1922, launching the modern era of Egyptology. The curse of opening the tomb was said to have resulted in the cursed death of several members of Carter's team. The first of the deaths was that of Lord Carnarvon, who financed the excavation. He had been bitten by a mosquito and later slashed the bite accidentally while shaving. It became infected and that resulted in blood poisoning. Two weeks before Carnarvon died, Marie Corelli wrote an imaginative letter that was published in the New York World magazine. In it, she quoted an obscure book that confidently asserted that dire punishment would follow any intrusion into a sealed tomb. A media frenzy followed 
with reports that a curse had been found in the king's tomb, though this was untrue. While rumor and legends grew to say several team members had died in short order after the tomb's opening, the truth was much more ordinary. No one died from any curse or unusual event. There were rational explanations for each that occurred randomly over time. The tomb was opened on November the 29th, 1922. George Herbert, Lord Carnarvon, financial backer of the excavation who was present at the tomb's opening, died as previously stated after a mosquito bite became infected. He died four months and seven days after the opening of the tomb. George J. Gould I, a visitor to the tomb, died in the French Riviera in May of 1923 after he developed a fever following his visit, over five months after the opening. C. Mace, a member of Carter's excavation team, died in April 1928, having suffered from pneumonia in his final years, over five years after the tomb was opened. Captain the Honorable Richard Bethel, Carter's secretary, died in November 1929, dying in bed in a Mayfair club, the victim of a suspected smothering, nearly seven years after the tomb opening. And Howard Carter, who opened the tomb, died well over 16 years later in March 1939. However, some have still attributed his death to the curse. So, like the tomb curse, skeptics of movie curses point to the inflation of small occurrences, the placing of tentative relationships between them, and the publicity used to fan the flames to create a legend of a movie curse. Horror movies deal with some of the most sinister forces of the universe. Supernatural entities, monsters, murderers, evil clowns, demons, and even the devil himself. With so much evil energy in the air, it almost makes sense that these kinds of films would create unfortunate circumstances. And when a production suddenly finds itself inexplicably linked with a string of tragic deaths and accidents, one word often materializes to explain everything. Curse. In every movie production set, it's a given that a strange incident or two is expected to happen. Maybe an onset accident, technical difficulties, an older cast member's sad death just before the movie hits the theater. But sometimes when these weird incidents pile up during a particular production, it gets you thinking that perhaps there's something more sinister at work. The idea of a cursed movie theater has become a cultural tradition, and it seems the scarier the movie, the more likely its cast and crew are to experience some unusual goings-on. A lot of horror movies have dabbled with the dark arts and have allegedly become a host for their own curse. While there is no way to prove that these accidents and deaths were caused by some sort of curse, it does seem strange. So many people would die associated to a film production. Postscript. And what about plays? which have been around far longer than movies? There is one infamous play that is the poster child for production curses, Shakespeare's Macbeth. According to folklore, Macbeth was cursed from the beginning. Tradition holds a coven of witches objected to Shakespeare using real incantations, so they put a curse on the play. Legend has it the play's first performance around 1606 was riddled with disaster. The actor playing Lady Macbeth died suddenly, so Shakespeare himself had to take on the part. Other rumored mishaps include real daggers being used in place of stage props for the murder of King Duncan, 
resulting in the actor's actual death. The play hasn't had much luck since. The famous Astor Place riot in New York in 1849 resulted in at least 20 deaths and over 100 injuries. It was caused by rivalry between American actor Edwin Forrest and English actor William Charles McCrady. Both Forrest and McCrady were playing Macbeth in opposing productions at the time. Other productions have been plagued with accidents, including actors falling off the stage, mysterious deaths, and even narrow misses by falling stage weights, which happened to Sir Laurence Olivier at the Shakespearean theater The Old Vic in 1937. If you're cast in Macbeth, should you be worried? Yes. Just uttering the play's name can result in catastrophe. It's no wonder it's known as the play that shall not be named. But there is a way to avoid the curse. Showbiz tradition says, exit the theater, spin around three times, spit, curse, and then knock on the theater door to be allowed back in. And then remember not to say Mac, uh, the name of that Scottish play. In our next episode, we look at the truly strange and terrifying tales of skinwalkers and shapeshifters, horrific and extremely malevolent entities that are said to walk the American Southwest and beyond. These are truly disturbing supernatural beings with alleged powers to overcome any who cross their path. But how are they created and what are their powers? And of course, we'll look into some truly scary stories of encounters with skinwalkers and shapeshifters over the years. So join us as we explore skinwalkers and shapeshifters next time on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Yes, it's time for the quiz, all right. And here it is. The Conjuring movie tells the story of what paranormal investigative couple? Is it A, Randy and Deborah Singer? B, Ken and Sandy Dahl? C, Ed and Lorraine Warren? D, Bill and Eleanor Renoir? Once again, The Conjuring movie tells the story of what paranormal investigative couple? Is it Randy and Deborah Singer? Ken and Sandy Dahl, Ed and Lorraine Warren, or Bill and Eleanor Renoir? And the answer is... C. Ed and Lorraine Warren. Stories of ghost hauntings were popularized by the Warrens, and the stories directly or indirectly adapted from them inspired dozens of films, television series, and documentaries, including several films in the Amityville Horror Series, and, of course, the films in The Conjuring Universe. Edward and Lorraine Warren were paranormal investigators and authors associated with prominent cases of alleged hauntings. Edward was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, author, and lecturer, while Lorraine claimed to be clairvoyant and a light trance medium who worked closely with her husband. They were an inseparable duo. In 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, the oldest ghost investigation group in New England. They authored several books about the paranormal and about their private investigations into numerous cases of paranormal activity. They claimed to have investigated well over 10,000 cases during their career. Famously, the Warrens were among the first investigators in the Amityville haunting. The Warrens were also among the first to build a network in their investigations of a variety of individuals with expertise, including medical doctors, researchers, police officers, nurses, college students, 
and members of the clergy. In 1971, the Warrens claimed that the Harrisville, Rhode Island home of the Perrin family was haunted by a witch who had lived there in the early 19th century. According to the Warrens, Bathsheba Sherman cursed the land so that whoever lived there somehow died a terrible death. This became the story that led to the 2013 film The Conjuring. Lorraine Warren was a consultant to the production and even appeared in a cameo role in the film. Also according to the Warrens, in the year 1968, two roommates claimed their Raggedy Ann doll was possessed by the spirit of a young girl named Annabelle Higgins. The Warrens took the doll, telling the roommates it was being manipulated by an inhuman presence, and put it on display at the family's occult museum. The legend of the doll inspired several additional films in the Conjuring universe. But not everyone bought into the Warrens' paranormal expertise. In an article for the Sydney Morning Herald that examined whether supernatural films are really based on true events, an investigation was used as evidence to the contrary. Steve Novella and Perry DeAngelis investigated the Warrens for the New England Skeptical Society as part of the article. Novella was quoted as saying, They claim to have scientific evidence, which does indeed prove the existence of ghosts, which sounds like a testable claim into which we can sink our investigative teeth. What we found was a very nice couple, some genuinely sincere people, but absolutely no compelling evidence. While it was made clear that neither DeAngelis nor Novella thought the Warrens would intentionally cause harm to anyone, the article did caution that claims like the Warrens serve to reinforce delusions and confuse the public about legitimate scientific methodology. Ed Warren passed away in 2006. Lorraine died in 2019 and was able to see and enjoy the impact and influence of the paranormal work she and Ed had accomplished over the years. Whether you believe their claims or not, you can certainly thank them for a series of memorable films and their sequels, which likely will continue for years to come. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by. <laughs>